Just want to look, continue really with the theme of the church. Um, it is exciting to see 42 years what the Lord has done here through Victory Baptist Church. But have you ever been, by the way, when, you, when you're away from your home church, if that's Victory and you're on vacation, you ought to find a church to be a part of. And you would be amazed at uh, just folks that you meet who know somebody else. The, the circles get smaller and smaller the more you meet people. And so we were talking with folks today about friends that, that we have in common with folks that you wouldn't even realize. So I, I encourage you, when you're on vacation, be faithful. You might encourage someone and you will be encouraged. But have you ever been to a church? That could be here, could be somewhere else. And you go to a, to a church service or maybe you've heard someone make this statement before. That was a great church. Amen. You ever hear somebody say that? I hope you say that about your church, but you go there and uh, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the size of the church. Right. It could be a large church, it could be a small church, but like, that was a great church. Amen. All right, now when someone says that, maybe you've said that, or maybe you've heard that said, we're, we're obviously not talking about the size of the church. Right. We're not necessarily talking about you know, um, what, what we like better than something else, because everyone does look, but what, what is it that would make someone say, make that statement? What makes a great church? I personally believe the key thing is having a church of people that are in love with Jesus. Every church, and by the way, I've had the privilege to be in thousands of churches. When I was eight years old, my dad went into evangelism and pretty much every night of my life, we were in meetings in different churches, and we would travel all over the country. I've been in all 50 states at least two times, and traveled all over, been in all kinds of churches, and there's churches that I'm like, wow, that is a great church, and then there's other churches you go to, and it's like, that was dead. Oh, boy. Now, you can always learn something. Anytime God's Word's open, you can always learn something. But what makes a great church? I believe... Love with being in love with Jesus and being obedient to what Jesus said. So I want us to take a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And I want you to see some practices that are present in a powerful church. I want to just mention five of them. I believe they are all here at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And I think Paul wanted to be a part of these kind of churches. I think they're the kind of churches he wanted to plant. And when churches struggled, he would write them letters to encourage them. Maybe some ways they got astray. But what are some things that we could narrow down that are practices present in a powerful church? And what I would like for you to do is say, that's the kind of church I want Victory Baptist to be. That's the kind of church I want it to be because we're a light to this community. So I'll read them. You can... Um, you can remain seated. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse number 23. It says here, And the very God of peace, we looked at that in the morning service, sanctify you wholly. And I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body, be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Oh, you might say, those are verses that are familiar to me. I've, I've read those verses before. Maybe you've never seen them in light of the local church. But what are some practices that are present in the local church? Well, I want you to see five of them this afternoon. And the desire is, Lord, help that to be true about me. Because the local church is made up of individuals and people. And you represent that. Number one, I want you to see number the, the number one practice there in a local church 
that makes it a, that, that, that powerful church is this. Number one, people who live godly lives. Notice in verse 23 and 24, it says there, and the very God of peace, here's a key word, sanctify you. Do you know that as a believer, you right now are in the process of sanctification? That's God's process. And God will perform that. We know that. Faithful is he to perform that. If he started it, he'll, be going, he'll perform that work that he began in us. It says, sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so how many churches do we know that have been destroyed by the testimony of its members? Testimony of its members. All right, so I'm going to use an example. This person um, went to our church a while ago. They have passed on since. But I remember I was in Sam's Club one day. I was new to the church. I was still getting to know the members. And there was a man who had come to our church. They, they, they had come. And uh, I had greeted him because obviously he'd been in the church. I had greeted him. I talked to him a while. There was a lady there who said, do you know him? And I said, Yes. And I said, he goes to our church. And she said, he does. I said, yeah, why? She said, that's the most cantankerous man I think I know. I was like, oh boy, we got to work on this. But how many churches have been destroyed by the testimony of members in that local church? Because they say, you know, whether it's Faith Baptist, where we're from, or Victory Baptist, where you're at, and they find out that you're from that church, or someone else is talking, oh, I go to Victory Baptist. Oh, I know somebody who goes there. You realize how important the testimony is in this community? And, and people who live godly lives. So, if that's what he's saying here, all right, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. That tells me this, number one, that it is possible to live a godly life. The possibilities there. Otherwise, he wouldn't be praying this for these people. He wouldn't say, hey, here's what I'm praying for you. But the possibility of a godly life. And he mentions three areas. Notice what he says there. I pray your whole spirit and soul and body. All right, now, there's disagreement on this, and that's okay. Some people believe we are body, and then they lump soul and spirit together. I personally believe we're body, soul, and spirit. I believe we're three parts, okay? So we would theologically call that a trichotomy. Now, what does that mean? Why, why would we need to know that? Why would he pray that? Well, the word body is really speaking of the physical body, the soma. The, the Greek philosopher Plato, he taught that we only have a body and a soul. And what he taught was that the body is evil. It's given to lusts and passions. And the soul is really just trapped in that wicked body. So the end of that teaching is you can really do whatever you want to do. Because it really doesn't matter. The body's given over to the lust. You're going to do them anyway. And the soul is trapped in that. And I wonder how many church members have taken the philosophy of Plato instead of what the Bible says. You know the Bible says it's still possible to live godly lives today? I mean, it's, it's possible. The, the process of sanctification. And, and so the New Testament teaches, not what Plato said. You know what the New Testament teaches? The body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, we meet in a church building, and we're thankful for this. But did you know that God does not dwell here? He doesn't live here. Oh, we take care of it. We want to keep it looking nice. But the, 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 the body right here is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of, of God's. And you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. So, think about that. Your bodies. Do you know that your bodies belong to God's? 
My body belongs to God. When interviewed, a 98-year-old man was asked, as you look back on your life, would you have done anything different? 98 years old. That's how old my grandmother was when she passed away. Here's what he said. I like it. Well, he said, if I would have known I was going to live this long, I'd taken better care of this body. And how many of us may say that? So we're made up of body. And listen, although we are waiting for heaven for this body to be redeemed, do you know this is still the temple of the Holy Ghost? And we ought to take care of it. We ought to be very careful in our bodies of, of how we present the Lord and the things that we say and the things that we do, the, the way that we dress, the way that we act. All of that is the giving an opinion of who Jesus is. He said, I, I'm praying for your body. But then he says, uh, soul. The Greek word for soul is suke. We get our words psychic and psychology from that word. It really is your personality. It's your mind, your will, and your emotion. It is within the soul where human relations are sealed. That is where we kind of are relational with, the, with, with different people. In our, in our mind, our will, and our emotion. So we've got the body, we've got the soul. But notice, he says there, and I pray the very God of peace, sanctify you holy, and I pray to your whole spirit. Now that is very important. The, the, the spirit is, is unique, our spirit, from the rest of all creation. Do you know when we're made in the image of God, we were given a spirit. A spirit will live somewhere forever. And so if you think about this, um, plants, are plants living creatures? If you were good at science, are plants real living creatures? Yes. Plants are living creatures. They have bodies, but they have no soul. They're alive. They're, they're, they're living beings. On the other hand, um, if you have an animal, you have a dog. Do you know that dogs are living creatures? They have a body, and they would have a soul. You know, your, your dog ever kind of get a little down, a little sad? They're, they're, they have emotions. They're, they're more emotional beings. But we have something that even animals, I know PETA disagrees with us on this, but we have something that even animals don't have. And that's a spirit. The old, all dogs go to heaven? That's not biblical. And so that is why he is praying really for the, the whole of us, our body, our soul, and our spirit. You know, I know dogs don't have a spirit. You ever, you ever been there getting ready and you're having a word of prayer before your, your meal? You ever seen a dog put its paws up on the table and start praying? No. They're not able to do that. Um, you don't see, uh, we, we, I, I have had someone that wanted to bring their pets to church, all right? And I had to explain to them, they don't have spirits, okay? So, but, but why? Why is he praying this? Here's why. I believe that Paul is praying for these people. Don't compartmentalize your faith. Oh, we know the spirit is eternal. That's going to live with God forever. And oh, we're, we want to make sure that we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Our spirit is, is sealed. But do you know that it's important also to represent Christ well in your body? And to represent Christ in your soul, that is allowing him to, to, uh, to control the, the mind, the will, and the emotions. So, he says in, in verses in 1 Peter, be ye holy, for I am holy. You know, a lack of holiness and desire is really just a lack of spiritual growth. Sanctification, that process by which God is sanctifying us. So that leads us to this. Not only is it possible, he's praying that for them. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body. But then I want you to see where did that power come from? It's what we talked about this morning in Sunday school. The Holy Spirit, look at verse number 24. Faithful is 
He that calleth you, who also will do it. All right, so who performs it? Is Christianity about what I perform? No, it's God in us. He is faithful. And so I want you to see in this, five facts about sanctification. If you're a believer, God has enrolled you in a lifelong course called sanctification. Notice, first of all, it is a work of God. God will do that work in you. And he's doing that right now. Secondly, it's a lifetime process. Don't ever think you've arrived. It won't happen. Don't ever think you know it all. We don't. It's a lifetime process. It's never completed in this life. It will continue on. But here's what I like. Do you know that God will not stop that job until it's done? He's not going to leave you. He's going to keep working on you. For some of us, it's a slow process. Lord, thank you that you're still working with me. Thank you that you're still faithful. Thank you that you haven't given up on me. But here's the, here's the last thing. God uses everything that happens to us, good and bad, to make us more like him. Even, even in, in wrong circumstances, in wrong choices, do you know that God can and still does work everything for his good? We can look at atrocities that have happened in our world uh, over the years, and then they're horrible, and God does not condone that. But do you know that God can take good or, or evil and turn it into good? Why? Because he's God. So you might say, well, I've made a, I've made a lot of bad choices. Allow, uh, allow God to teach you through that. In that process of sanctification, the power comes through him. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. What did you have to do or could you do to be saved? Nothing. It's a, it's a work of him. He's the only one that could save us. But you know, oftentimes after we're saved, we feel like now I have to live the Christian life. No, it's God living that through us. So it's not only possible, but he gives us the power to do it. Perhaps you've, uh, and if you work for the government, um, you know, I, I don't want to offend you, but have you heard the phrase, close enough for government work? Have you heard that? I mean, that's close enough for government work, or maybe in the construction industry, we say things like, well, you can't see that from my house. What are they? They're making excuses. It is a, it's kind of a, a, a derisive way of saying, don't worry about the details. You know, don't worry about those. The joints don't have to fit. Everything doesn't have to be exactly right. We, as long as it's close. Aren't you thankful that God's not in government work? He does things perfectly. And mark it down. Everything he does is perfect. And therefore, he's working in you in that way. Well, you don't understand what happened last week and all the things that have taken place in my life. God does. And he's working it out. He's doing it. He wants to teach you about who he is and what he can do. The, the great British pastor, F.B. Meyer, wrote this. Our God has set himself to the work of our sanctification. He looks upon us as his inheritance, and he will not rest until he has brought every acre of territory under cultivation. The work of sanctification is quiet and silent. When God comes with power into the human spirit, there's often no hurricane, no tempest, no fire, no earthquake, but the thrilling whisper of a still small voice. We are not made faultless, but kept blameless, preserved from reoccurring self-reproach. You know what, what he's saying? He's saying is this, God's working in you. He, he does that sometimes silently. He does that in ways maybe we don't always see, but know this, he's not forgotten about us. All right, so first of all, the first practice that is present in a powerful church is people, born-again people, 
who live godly lives. It's still possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see a second thing. In verse number 25, he continues. He says this, brethren, pray for us. You know what else is present in a powerful church? People who pray for their spiritual leaders. Can I encourage you? Pray for your pastor. You young people, I'd encourage you to pray for your Sunday school teachers. Pray for those that work in your children's program, in your youth pastor. Pray for them. Why? Paul here, the apostle, brethren, pray for us. You know why he, need, he knew he needed it? There was power in that. A church that is praying for their spiritual leaders find it harder to, to get upset at their spiritual leaders. Try to find it hard to grumble about uh, things maybe that they do or they don't do. But praying members are essential to a powerful church. His request is brethren. Why? That's who ought to be praying. D don't, expect, don't, don't expect the world to be praying for these things. Don't expect the world to be praying for your pastor. You need to pray for your pastor. Brethren, pray for us. But if you say, well, what are they praying about? He doesn't specifically say there, but keep your place and go back to Romans 15. Because throughout his other epistles, he made it very clear what he wanted them to pray about. In Romans 15 is one of those examples. I want you to look at verse 30 and 31. He says here, now I beseech, I beg you, I implore you urgently, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, Here's what he's praying. That ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. What? That I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. And that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Isn't it amazing? Paul was saying, I really need you to pray for me. Uh, pray for the, the ministry that God has called me to. Pray that I'll keep striving together. Pray for those that are, that are against me and that want to do harm to me. As believers of a local church, could I encourage you to do the same? Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor's wife. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for those that are in authority. Why? That leads to a, a healthy, vibrant church. It's a practice that's present in a powerful church. So first of all, people that live godly lives, they pray for their spiritual leaders. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians and look at verse 26. He says, greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. You say, all right, what does that mean? Here it is. Number three, peaceful toward one another. Be peaceful towards one another. Let me rephrase it. Get along. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I believe you could just take two words there and say this. Be friendly. Don't look for the faults in everyone. Find the good. Be friendly. It's imperative. Notice he says there, if you look, greet all. Did you notice that word? Not just the ones that, well, that guy did something nice for you and that lady was nice to me. All of them. Greet all the brethren. To, to greet, to salute, is to welcome. Uh, but here's where we get hung up on this. It's, it's the holy kiss. Like, are you telling me? All right, now, in, in, in Middle Eastern culture, this was very, it still is, but this was very important. In, in that culture of that day, it, it, a kiss upon the cheek was a formal greeting among friends. Today, in our culture, it would be a handshake. I liked this morning, had handshake at time. That's a blessing. In a way, it's like, hey, I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you. I'm glad your family was in church today. It is a form of greeting. And, and that was true. But foremost, this greeting was done amongst family. In the Mediterranean, Middle Eastern culture, this greeting was done among family. Could I remind you that the church is a family? Some of you, your church family is closer than maybe your physical family. 
So he says, be friendly, get along. But uh, primarily, if you look at this and you study this, it, he's not, and we like to focus on the method of the greeting. The kiss is what gets us. But could I say, it was more about the warmth of the greeting. There was warmth in that. Uh, I would encourage you, um, encourage others here. Let them know you're praying for them. Man, some of you ladies come along, put your arm around another lady and say, I just want you to know I prayed for you this week. Some of you men, put your arm around another man and say, I just want you to know you were on my mind. I prayed for you this week. Prayed for your family. I prayed for you. Why? There's unity there. And that's powerful. And so they're, they're the imperative of, of friendliness. And, and it's not just this emphasis on the, the, the kiss, or we could say just this certain group. Well, I get along with these people. No, he says all. Amen. All the brethren. Greet all of them. Let them know you love them. But then I want you to see the impact. Do you know that growing churches are known for their warmth and their fellowship? They are. I, I've told you, I've traveled to thousands of churches. Uh, probably the, the churches that are, that are growing and moving forward are friendly churches. They just, they love being there. They love, the, the, they love God's people. They are peaceful one to another. John 15, 12, it's, it's, it's God's commandment. I want you to do it. I want you to love one another. Love the brethren. All right, so, first of all, people that live godly lives. They pray for their spiritual leaders. They're peaceful toward one another. Look at verse 27. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Number four, they passionately study the Bible. You know, practice present in a powerful church? People who, who passionately study God's word. Do you know it's not just the pastor's responsibility to study God's word? It's all of ours. Spend time. In, in Bible study, uh, to, to charge is to put under an oath. And by the Lord, it was serious enough for Paul to charge them in the name of the Lord. This is so important. I want you to take the word of God seriously. And there ought to be a priority in that. Whether it's a ladies Bible study or men gathering together or your personal quiet time, you ought to spend time in God's word. It ought to be a priority. And you'll find as it is, you grow. You grow in your spiritual life. And as you're growing and others are growing. Now, there's different, there's different stages of that. You may be, have been saved longer and you have grown in different areas. And you're patient and loving towards those who haven't. And you're just together encouraging. Uh, just take that next spiritual step. Just grow in that next area. Wherever you are, take the next step. I remember my dad preaching and uh, preached a message. And he would say this. Today, every one of us will leave as close to God as we really want to be. If you wanted to be closer, you could be. You say, how do you know that? James tells us, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. So if you want to be closer to God, you take one step closer to him and he'll take one step closer to you. And then this week, you take one step closer to him and he'll take one step closer to you. The, the more you draw close to him, the more he draws close to you. But too many believers are waiting for God to take that first step. And let me tell you, he's waiting for you to draw close to him and he'll get as close to you as you want him to be. So we'll leave here today as close to Christ as we really want to be. One way we do that is to passionately study God's word. Personally, corporately, as God's word is preached, I mean, be there, be listening. When the, when the word of God is open through a Sunday school teacher, through your pastor, your youth pastor, through a, a, a Bible study, passionately study God's word. It's powerful. It'll change your church. Why? Because the writer, the author of this book 
is present every time you open this book. But there's one more, and that's in the last verse. If you look there at verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You know another practice of a powerful church is the presence of the grace of God. God's grace is not only essential for salvation. We know that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. But do you know that God's grace is also essential for Christian living? We can't do it without him. We needed, we needed his grace to save us, and we need his grace to live the Christian life. I believe there's specific grace. He mentions there in that verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that's revealed in the acts that God does. It's the quality of his character. Do you know that it's not just what he does, it's who he is. God is gracious. He is merciful. It's the beauty of his character. But there's also other grace that God speaks of. God speaks of sustaining grace. There's going to be grace that you need to, 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 to get you through a trial that you're facing. There's sufficient grace. Remember Paul? I mean, he faced physical things. He faced um, all kinds of, of, of trials. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he found out God's grace was sufficient for him. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Why? Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You might say, well, I feel, I feel weak in a lot of areas. Good. Because then he's strong. And if you put all these together at the, at the end, as he's encouraging uh, the, this church and these people, and he's really praying for them. And, and one of the one neat thing you can do is study Paul's prayers. If you want to pray something for your church, your family, pray the prayers that Paul prayed for some of these people in churches. Amazing. But very simply at the end, he says this. Listen, as a local church, determine that in your community, you're going to live godly lives. Represent Christ well. Pray for your spiritual leader. Specifically, pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor's family. Satan wants to destroy them. Pray for him. Be peaceful toward one another. Get along. You know a practical way to do that? Move around. Don't only sit in the same place. Sit with someone else. Well, I've sat in this same, same pew for 40 years. Move, move, move somewhere else. Shock your pastor. Like, are they here? Whoa, you know? Get to know somebody. Go up to somebody maybe you haven't greeted or maybe that doesn't have all the same interests as you do and let them know you're actually concerned about their life. I'd encourage you older folks, invest in this, in this next generation. I'd encourage you younger folks, get with them and, and learn some things that they've, they've been through. Amen. Be peaceful toward one another. And then passionately study God's word. If it's a Wednesday night Bible study or Sunday school or a morning or evening service, be there. Be in this book each and every day. And as you do that, and you're growing, and then you gather together, and you're growing corporately and personally, it's amazing. God grows his church that way. And then it, it exemplify the presence of the grace of God. When folks walk through the doors of Victory Baptist Church, they ought, to, they ought to be like, you know what, there's something different about that place. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And, and when you're going through a trial, they know you know what? They, they, they face that trial differently. You lose a loved one. You lose a job. You face a physical ailment. And that sustaining grace, your grace just carries you through. The world needs that. They're looking for that hope. And we have it. Let's just live it out. And if we do that, by God's grace, if he tarries, do you realize that 42 years from now, victory back to the church could still be pressing on, doing the same thing, 
preaching God's word, staying unified, evangelizing the, the community. That, that, that will all be because of God's grace. As a parent, as a pastor, as a church, the only way we do what we do is by God's grace. And so I'd encourage you. I hope you'll say, you know what, that, I want that to be true about my church. If the, Victory Baptist, you know what, I want that to be true about my church. All right, so that has to be true about me. Lord, help me. Help me to live a godly life. Help me to take time. Pray. Pray for my spiritual leaders. Help me live at peace. If there's something you have against someone else, go to them. Get that taken care of. Don't let that harbor into bitterness. And churches have been split by that. Live at peace with one another. Passionately study God's word and exemplify the presence of the grace of God. We all need it. We understood that in salvation. We need it to live the Christian life. And you know what's amazing? is uh, As I said earlier, the, the best days for Victory Baptist Church could be days ahead because God's not changed what his word says. We still have the same truth. He just simply wants us to take it, believe it, and apply it to our life. Father, thank you for this day, this day where we really rejoice in your grace, in your um, mercy, and in your working in the lives of faithful folks who week in, week out, come. And even at times in our lives where maybe we don't see all that you're doing, I pray that we would know that you never quit on that process of sanctification. Uh, sometimes you have to wait for us. Sometimes we don't respond as quickly, but help us never get, to con never get content right where we are. Help us to continue to grow. I, I pray that we would be settled. I pray that you would help us to be grounded in truth. I pray that we would be involved in, in, in um, reaching out into the community. I pray that you would grow Victory Baptist through folks just committed uh, to living lives that please you, living lives in obedience to your word. Thank you for faithful folks. Thank you for the time that we've had to fellowship together today around your word and around food and just getting to know one another. And I'm thankful that there are churches in this area that are still preaching truth, still have folks that believe the Bible, and stand on that truth and are willing to live that out. Oh, give us many more like them. And I pray that uh, we, would, we would represent you well in the world that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor.